Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of New York Times best-selling author Craig Pittman. My name is Chad Scott, and this is Welcome to Florida. Today we're talking about con men. And in Florida, boy, there's a lot of ground to cover there, but we're focusing on oh, yeah. one today, Craig, more than the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one more than that. But, I mean, we have a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. Florida's got a long history of con men. We are a, known as a sunny place for shady people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, this would uh, start with the, the real estate speculators back in the, the, what, teens and 20s? 1915 was one of the earliest ones, a guy who was literally selling swampland in the Everglades to um, you know poor widows in Kansas. I always like to point out that after Carlo Ponzi, the guy who invented the Ponzi scheme, after he got arrested mm-hmm. in Boston for his, his big scam there, he came to Florida. He yeah. <laughs> got involved in real estate fraud. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> even the con men come here to look for con, look for more cons to pull. Yeah, and I would <laughs> argue one of the greatest con men in American history is going to likely be retiring to Palm Beach. Palm Beach. Palm, Palm Beach, Beach that's right. In the very near future. We will, of oh. course, go ahead, Craig. I was just going to say, although his neighbors don't want him to. No. Uh, you know, they're, they're contending that that's not a legal residence and it's a club, and he's not allowed to live there, so we'll see how that works out. We will touch <laughs> briefly on the insurrection attempt in the U.S. Capitol last week by white nationalists at the behest of the sitting president here momentarily. But again, we remind everyone that uh, Welcome to Florida is sponsored by HipCamp, and HipCamp is this great private service for folks looking to camp, and HipCamp needs sponsors. They need landowners like yourself. So if you own land anywhere in Florida, you can host outdoor enthusiasts on your property. Landowners across Florida are earning up to $1,000 a month listing spots where folks can camp, glamp, and RV. It's all at hipcamp.com, hipcamp.com slash land to learn more about the program. They take care of everything. They schedule it on your terms. People pay you directly. You can list your property when you want to. Don't have to when you don't want to. It can be any size, and it's a great service for folks who own some land if they want to pick up a little uh, scratch. Now, the attempted coup at the U.S. Capitol fomented by Donald Trump last week had a prominent Florida man featured. Of course, of course. There always has to be a Florida man connection. There were several people from Florida who were there, mm-hmm. but the one who really stands out is the guy who stole the lectern yeah. from the U.S. House of Representatives and was, and was actually had his picture taken carrying the lectern and just kind of you know grinning for the camera like, hey, I got a great souvenir yeah. to take back to the kids. The Cato <laughs> Kalen-looking SOB. <laughs> a quick update. Adam Johnson, the 36-year-old Florida man we are talking about, was released on $25,000 bail last night, Monday, after appearing before a federal judge in Tampa. He's charged with one count of knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, one count of theft of government property, one count of violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. He was arrested Friday night. Of course, he was uh, a white male like 99% of the other racist white supremacists in attendance and um, just walked right out of there, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, I just walk right out like, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to Disney World now, you yep, know. <laughs> yep, I am going to storm the US Capitol with uh, an armed group of insurrectionists looking to take down the nation and unlike peaceful black protesters trying to uh, raise awareness to their daily plight on the streets of America being hunted by police officers who don't get to go home from their peaceful protests at night, this armed mob was allowed to just walk right back out. As somebody pointed out on, uh, on Twitter, I'm no longer impressed that Nicolas Cage could steal the Declaration of Independence. Very funny line. Very funny yeah. line. Yeah. Craig, of course, uh, writes every week for the Florida Phoenix, which is a great online resource, floridaphoenix.com. And your most recent article was, uh, as we loop back to the con, a paper mill that conned a lot of uh, residents of one Florida county out of at least clean water. Yeah, the the uh, folks in Taylor County, the leaders, quote-unquote, of Taylor County, went to the legislature in 1947 and said, we're uh, we're a poor rural county. We want to make a trade uh, with uh, with the, to get, a, get industry here. Mm-hmm. We're willing to sacrifice our nice, clean, pretty Fen Holloway River. And so they got the legislature to declare it an industrial river, the only one in Florida so classified, which basically meant mm-hmm. you could dump anything you wanted to into that river. And as a result, yeah. Procter & Gamble built a paper mill in Perry that ruined the river, but did a lot more than that because mm-hmm. it also polluted their aquifer. The drinking water wells got messed up. Uh, the fish mostly disappeared from from the river. The fish that did remain uh, started having uh, exhibiting mutations, you know, changing gender. Uh, springs along the river dried up from the mill pumping. Mm-hmm. The, one thing I didn't put into the into the column, which was longer than most of my usual columns, is there used to be a water bottling plant in Perry that would bottle the water from the Fen Holloway and sell it. And they went out of business because the paper mill sucked up so much of the water yeah. they couldn't draw any out. Anymore. This this whole notion of an industrial river is... It's mind-blowing. My, yeah, that, I was going to say shocking, but it's not shocking. I was going to say astonishing, but on the, the, the scale of Florida favoring development over anything having to do with the environment, it, it's not astonishing. Mind-blowing is a good, good way to describe it. It allows them to dump anything, raw sewage, toxic waste, anything of any scale into this formerly clean, healthy, free-flowing river, which drains into the Gulf of Mexico. It is their yeah. personal wastewater facility, a river. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, so, it, so now they're having to spend millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars trying to clean it up. And the point I tried to make in the column is it's always cheaper to keep the environment clean than it is to try and clean it up after somebody's messed it up. Yeah. And, you know, and Lord knows all the health problems it's cost mm-hmm. in all those years, too. Yeah. It, you know, paper mills are... Nasty business. There's a paper mill on Amelia Island where I live, and Jacksonville was rife with them. Oh yeah. For its enti- no, I won't say its entire history. Of course, that dates back to indigenous people, so that's not <laughs> not the case. But let's say for the last a long time, <laughs> one hundred years or so, and mm-hmm. Jacksonville had a terrible reputation as the city that would make your eyes water and your, uh, your your nose run because the incredibly powerful stench and toxins being emitted by the paper mill. Mm-hmm. The technology has come a long way to reduce that, but when you're talking about a paper mill, you're still talking, it's sort of like an oil derrick or a coal mine. There is no way 
to remove its environmental catastrophe by nature from the the enterprise you know you can you can make it a little better on the on the margins but at the end of the day it is an environmental catastrophe and and now the 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 plan from your article in the Florida Phoenix the pipeline goes all the way into the gulf so they'll just dump into the gulf instead of this river which solves the problem right well and the, and the thing is they could have built uh, treatment wetlands around the plant mm-hmm. and use that to to try and clean the stuff up before it gets into the river. And But they decided that was too expensive and they'd rather build the pipeline. Yeah. So th- and that's why their waste is now going out to the Gulf and where it's already killed 10 square miles of seagrass beds. You can read all about that if the news doesn't have you cheerful enough already at floridaphoenix.com. <laughs> but uh, despite that, there are still wonderful natural places in Florida. Yep. And Hip Camp wants to uh, bring folks from all over the country to experience them and they need your help. Hip Camp is a growing community of respectful people looking to get outside for camping, glamping, RV stays, and they do it all on private land. It's sort of like VRBO for camping. Private uh, landowners submit their property to this service, which uh, match makes you with folks looking for the, the kind of land that you provide. So anyone with a property that helps people connect with nature can be a hip camp host. That's all across Florida. You host when you want. It's totally on your schedule. Guests book their stays directly with you. You get paid every week via PayPal or direct deposit. And for more information, you can go to hipcamp.com. And right in the upper right-hand corner there, there's a tab for rent your property, landowners. You can uh, find out more about how this works and uh, put hip camp to work for your property. And we're going to put Jeff Testerman to work for us, Craig. <laughs> he's he's great. Je- Jeff, uh, I worked with Jeff at the at what was then the St. Petersburg Times, and he has an unusual background for a reporter, uh, which was he had worked in the mortgage industry. And so he came in knowing, knowing how to follow a paper trail better mm-hmm. than any reporter I ever met. And his, his general motto, well, I'll get him to tell you this general motto, but <laughs> he, he went after all kinds of scams and con men and uh, found his greatest subject with Bobby Thompson, which is uh, the subject of his new book, uh, Call Me Commander. So let's talk to Jeff about let's tracking do that. this guy. Sure. Yeah. Callmecommander.net is the web address, just to get everyone up to speed here. When Lieutenant Commander Bobby Thompson, and I'm reading from callmecommander.net, surfaced in Tampa in 1998, it was as if he had fallen from the sky, providing no hint of his past life. Eleven years later, Jeff Testerman visited the rundown duplex Thompson used as his home in the epicenter of his 60,000-member charity, the U.S. Navy Veterans Association. But something was amiss. The U.S. NVA, it turned out, was a phony charity where Thompson used pricey telemarketers, savvy lawyers, and political allies to swindle tens of millions from well-meaning donors. And with that, he became one of Florida's greatest in a long line of con men. Jeff, you've dealt with you've dealt with con men before. What made Bobby Thompson different? Well, he was he was smart. Commander Bobby Thompson, giving away the uh, middle of the book, not the uh, not the, not his real name, turned out to have a uh, law degree from one of the finest universities in the country, an intelligence background, and uh, some work with uh, the CIA. He was a spy in many regards, so he was well prepared by his training legally and militarily, to pull off uh, some of the things he did. He's just, he's just a clever guy. With his law degree, he was uh, 
he had, uh, you know, once uh, gotten a guy off death row. That's how competent an attorney he was when he was uh, in Arizona uh, before disappearing as a fugitive. This allowed him uh, to, to, frankly, fool his attorneys uh, and to out-talk them, frankly, and, and out-argue them in many cases. Tell us how you got on to him. I, I, I was amused. I went back and looked at some of the prior coverage and was amused that you end, actually ended up testifying at his trial and they were pushing oh. you. You had a confidential informant, didn't you? And you were like, no. <laughs> so tell, tell us how you got on to this. The story. Uh, you know, I uh, I always believe that uh, you should try to have uh, an insider that tells you the story, a confidential informant. In this case, uh, that was not so. The uh, happenstance occurrence uh, that took me to the front door of Commander Bobby Thompson involved a fellow from Tampa named Kevin White, a councilman that was uh, running uh, for county commission. And I had gotten a tip uh, about uh, White that said... Uh, he had taken some bribes, and uh, he was uh, doing rezonings for uh, this uh, mortgage crook. And I began to open a file on uh, Kevin White, and I got a hold of some background papers, uh, namely his discharge papers from the U.S. Navy. White had argued uh, or advertised himself as a uh, Navy veteran with a uh, long and distinguished career in the military, uh, as he was running for office, both for the Tampa City Council and the uh, Tampa uh, Hillsborough County Commission. I got the discharge papers and uh, found very quickly that uh, his Navy career began at the age of 17 and ended five weeks after he'd gone in. <laughs> this, uh, this struck me as, not, uh, as, as neither long nor distinguished. <laughs> I thought I had at least a story about a political guy that was... Um, exaggerating, at the very least, exaggerating his yeah. military background. So I began to uh, look through the other papers that I'd gathered uh, on Kevin White, and I ran across a campaign check from a group called the U.S. Navy Veterans Association. I'd never heard of them. I looked them up. Uh, they had a very extensive website. I uh, found that they had an address and a phone number in uh, Washington, D.C. They looked totally legit uh, from the website. I called and uh, found out that, uh, well, their director of development for the Navy veterans is a character named Bobby Thompson, Commander Thompson. He happens to have an address right there in Tampa. And I said, ma'am, how lucky can you be? I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to go see Commander Thompson. I'm going to get in my car and drive out to see him. By the way, I, in most circumstances, believe that uh, reporters should, if they can help it, not call, but go. But I think you always kind of get a better feel for the person you're talking to. Uh, you can see the surroundings and so on. So I got in the car. I drove out to see Commander Thompson, and I found it was about a 15- or 20-minute drive out to Ybor City. And the longer I drove, the more I noticed that this was a pretty seedy neighborhood. I finally came to his address. It was in a row of ramshackle, fallen-down duplexes. And Thompson, as it turned out, was standing out in front talking on the telephone. This is a this is a, a a bad neighborhood. This is a tough neighborhood, not uh, gentrified in the least in Ybor City, across the street from a shuttered uh, ancient uh, 19th century cigar factory. It occurred to me that this was not the home of a Navy commander that I'd really expected to see. But I went up to talk to him, and I said, I came out. Uh, my name is uh, Jeff Testerman. I'm with the St. Pete Times. I'm here to talk to you 
about a campaign check that you wrote to a fellow named Kevin White. He uh, immediately became hostile. He was uh, combative. Before it was over, he ended up uh, essentially throwing me off his property. And I came to understand much, much later that he actually knew my name from the investigative work I'd done for the paper. He'd read the newspaper. He'd seen some of the stories I'd done. And he knew that this was not somebody he really wanted on his front steps. I didn't know this. I, and I went away puzzled about the whole thing. And I drove away thinking, you know, what, what is up with that guy? It doesn't feel right. I came back to the newsroom. Keep in mind, I'm on another story. I'm not uh, working about anything on the Navy veterans. I'm trying to get a nice, easy quote to the bottom of my story about a group that's written a check to a, a fellow that's got kind of a phony Navy career. Mm-hmm. And I come back, and uh, my research uh, guru, as I call him, John Martin, uh, had done some promo- preliminary work on this uh, to see where and what the Navy veterans was to begin with to help me uh, get a contact number. And I came back, he said, uh, how'd it go? And I said, it didn't go like I thought it would at all. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have a feeling about this group, and it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. John dialed up the database uh, that he works with and started, got online, looked up the Navy veterans' website, and on page one is the uh, directory of officers and directors And at the very top is a guy in a blazer and a striped tie named Captain Jack Nimitz. And John said, let me see if I can find Nimitz. John and I both have a belief that there is a documentary footprint for every legitimate person uh, that you try to do reporting on. They buy a house, they get a mortgage, they divorce, uh, their liens, marriage uh, certificates, court cases. Just anything you can you can imagine, John would try to find to uh, ascertain who and where Jack Nimitz was. Captain Jack Nimitz, nice Navy name, uh, like Chester Nimitz, yeah. the yeah. hero of World War II. <laughs> and there's this picture standing right there. John spent about a day and a half, and John came back and he said, I cannot find Jack Nimitz. There's, there's a couple of guys in Texas where he's supposed to live, got that name. We called those two guys. And they didn't know what we were talking about. They weren't Captain Jack Nimitz of the U.S. Navy Veterans Association. So now we we believed that maybe we had pulled a, a strand on something that might unravel. Over the course of uh, about the next six or seven months, began to check everything we could and excavate the site that was the Navy Veterans website that contained 2,500 pages. Wow a massive amount of information to run through and check and verify and see if it was real. Actually, some of it some of it was real. There were donations to, uh, let's say, the local uh, PBS uh, radio station. I figured, well, I'm going to call them, and they're going to tell me, we never heard of this. And I called them, and they said, uh, yeah, Commander Thompson is, is one of our better patrons. He, he wrote us a check for $20,000 uh, recently to uh, hmm. uh, sponsor our series called Carrier. <laughs> which, by the way, was on a aircraft carrier uh, named, that happened to be named Nemitz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our work also, at the end of the day, showed that uh, of um, 81 officers, state officers, national directors, and so on, of the Navy veterans, 80 could not be found mm. in any way, shape, or form. 
Ultimately, uh, not too long into the case, a couple weeks maybe, I phoned our Washington Bureau and I said, you know, we're looking into a group called the U.S. Navy Veterans Association. They've got, they're a pretty big nonprofit. They've got, supposed to have 66,000 members, and they've got an executive suite up there in D.C. on M Street, uh, a few blocks from the Capitol. wonder if you guys would, one of your people would run down and knock on the door. We can't seem to raise anybody. They came back in about an hour. And they sent me a photo. It was nothing but a rented mailbox and a strip <laughs> center. That was the address for the executive suite for the Navy veterans. <laughs> now we knew we had something. The thing is, they, they had made a bunch of other campaign contributions, too, right? <laughs> they being Thompson. Thompson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We had a little bit of a delayed reaction on this. The first sign of this, of course, was the $500 check to Kevin White. Uh, the second sign was a check to the local sheriff, which showed up as a picture on the Internet, a, kind of a grip-and-grin photo, Thompson and, a, and an assistant with Sheriff David G. in Hillsborough County. And then one day, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, we had begun to check with secretaries of state and the attorneys general in, various, uh, in, in as many states as we could that regulated this group, and one of them sent us a photo that Thompson had sent to them, and it was a picture of Manor Thompson shaking hands with George W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden... It's an amazing stakes, picture. Yeah. Stakes were raised on this thing. We said, well, what? Hold, hold on. What's going on here? This is a much bigger deal than we imagined. Ultimately, when you start rummaging through the uh, various campaign papers that are available to us as public record, uh, we I think we came up with in the neighborhood of six or $700,000 in contributions that he had made to everyone from uh, Mayor Pam Aureo to George W. Bush, uh, John Boehner, the Senatorial Campaign Committee, and so on. Did his political donations or the donations of the quote-unquote charity serve a particular political purpose, or was it more randomized? Was he was he trying to push forward an agenda here of, of any discernible linear thread? Well, we think he was. We believe uh, that the checks uh, did serve a purpose. It never became quite clear to us uh, exactly what the check to Kevin White was about. Those in Tampa who know his history a little bit, Kevin, Kevin White is a guy that it Ended up being uh, stung by the FBI on a on a, a bribery uh, deal and and went to prison. We never did kind of figure out what was going on there, but it was it was nothing uh, you'd write home about. Probably we did believe that he sent checks to uh, people that could help him, and this uh, was never more clear than in a case in Virginia where he began sending checks to the uh, delegates or the legislators and the uh, presumptive governor in Virginia as well as to the Attorney General, a name you'll recognize, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, <laughs> Cuccinelli, of course, has uh, since moved uh, from Attorney General in Virginia over to be in the Bush administration and has taken uh, quite a reputation with him. But Thompson recognized him as someone who could uh, help him with easing the regulation of nonprofits in Virginia, a very, very heavy Navy and military state sure. where a lot of money comes out of uh, in contributions to charities like the Navy Veterans. One Hampton point, Roads, right, is one of the, is it the largest Navy base in the country? I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it is. And I do, I do think that uh, Virginia ranks, I think it's number one in settled veterans, not just active duty, but uh, settled veterans. So, you know, Thompson uh, contracted with two 
telemarketing companies that did the solicitation for him, and they were soliciting in uh, Virginia, and Virginia at some point said, well, we don't believe you've met our paperwork requirement uh, as a large uh, charity. You need to file an audit and financial statements with us. Thompson then began a campaign to uh, paper the, the halls of the House of Delegates and the Attorney General's office with cash and campaign money, and he, he caught the attention of some people up there because he became this mysterious man from Florida who, for some reason, had uh, written a $50,000 check to wow. Ken Cuccinelli. And as we uh, relate in the book, uh, my partner, uh, Daniel Freed, and, and myself, he had a Navy captain and a uh, well-published uh, uh, labor lawyer named Sam Wright on the payroll. And he had Wright, uh, he sent Wright the check, and Wright sort of acted as bagman and went to Cuccinelli's office and said, the commander wanted you to have this delivered personally. To your question, uh, th- these checks were for a purpose most of the time. And the, now, the purpose check- was further enriching him. He wasn't trying to, to get sort of uh, any kind of political right-left uh, motivation. This was just to grease the wheel so that his nonprofit could run without as much interference in Virginia and, and, and sweep up there. Well, and he got access too, right? I mean, that's the by handing out checks, he could go in and give you the yeah. grip and grin pictures. At some point, Thompson put the picture of, uh, you're, you're right in all your assumptions. He managed, he sent three lobbyists into Virginia and managed to get the law rewritten that allowed, and signed by the governor, provided for a uh, waiver for nonprofits that were veteran-oriented. Wow. Uh, they didn't have to file the audit. They didn't have to send in financial statements. So he got exactly what he wanted. Uh, until they sort of figured it out. Mm-hmm. The the famous picture, there were actually three photo opportunities that he managed to get, get by the Secret Service, stand with George W. Bush, have his picture taken, shake his hands. One of those pictures was put on a business card that Thompson handed out that had him shaking hands with the President of the United States. This would say what? Look how legitimate and important I am. Sure. I'm standing with the President of the United States they obviously have checked me out with the Secret Service. I got to be legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole thing was a sham. Yeah. Did he spend any of that money on himself? I mean, he's living in this seedy area of Ebor City. I mean, what, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder, <laughs> wonder yeah, about, right. about that. This what is what maybe set uh, Commander Thompson apart from uh, most of the other con men you've ever re- read about or written about, uh, Craig. It wasn't an inexpensive place. He didn't have an expensive car. In fact, he didn't even have a driver's license. He walked a lot of places. He had someone drive him places. He took the bus. He took the railroad. Now, when he went out of town, he we came to learn. He did stay at four-star hotels. He did fly. Obviously, uh, he ate at some nice restaurants, and the, the expense money went like that. But the trappings of a guy that is pulling in money on a con to finance a lavish lifestyle simply wasn't the case here. In the main, he was putting a lot of this uh, money away. There's an anecdote we relate in the book uh, where he's in Tampa, and it's the one time that he encounters the police that we have ever found in in the state of Florida. And he's at an ATM, and uh, keep in mind, this guy affects the look of a, a Vietnam veteran. He's, he's uh, scraggly looking, poorly dressed. He probably has sandals on and cutoffs and a Hawaiian shirt. 
no offense taken, Craig. I was going to say, <laughs> well, are you, are you descri- who are you describing here? Uh, I just had a haircut, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say anything about the rest of it, though. <laughs> but, uh, he generally had a kind of a pompadour in front and a, and a you know, ponytail in back. And mm-hmm. one day in Tampa, he's uh, at an ATM at a bank downtown, and he's uh, rifling through credit cards, and he's pulling a bunch of money in and out of uh, the ATM there. He's doing a whole bunch of transactions. Somebody gets suspicious, a kind of a line forms, and they call the police. A couple of cops show up from the Tampa PD. They go in and uh, ask him, you know, is everything all right, sir? Uh, you know, and he presents some identification. I'm Commander Bobby Thompson. I'm a director of this uh, charity, uh, this uh, nonprofit called the Navy Veterans. Here's the card for that. I'm doing some business transactions. And basically, they can find no reason to mm-hmm. uh, detain him whatsoever. He's not breaking the law as far as they know. <laughs> we now know better. As, as we later tracked down uh, bank records that became available to us, we learned that this was one of, I believe, 11 transactions that Thompson did that day involving about six or seven banks in Tampa. He was essentially in a, in a wholesale laundering situation. The telemarketers would raise money. They would put it in the Navy veteran's account. He would move it from the Navy veteran's account, a lot of times in cash, you know, over to his personal account, uh, Commander Bobby Thompson. And sometimes he would put it over into accounts of other names, unknown to anyone who they might be. Later, of course, these other bank accounts turned out to belong, not the accounts, but the names turned out to be, like Bobby Thompson, a stolen identity. The guy was very good, and he had a lot of money, probably between 4 and $10 million, wow. was coming in to the telemarketers annually for a period, and uh, they were keeping a good bit of it. They were keeping 80% or more. This still left a lot of money. They were keeping 80%? Is that what you said? That's what I said. The t- is that standard? Uh, it is not, is not standard, but it is a warning signal and a red flag. Oh, on a charity, yeah. If a charity is blowing that much money on telemarketers, yeah. Yeah, this is this is sort of a standard red flag for in the in the world of reportage. If if a charity is keeping uh, 80, 90 percent, as was the case here, you need to check further and, and see uh, if this thing is legitimate. In any case, there was still a lot left over to finance what he was doing. This would be campaign contributions. This would be his travel. This would be putting away money uh, for, a, shall we say, a rainy day, which uh, ultimately, of course, did come. Let's talk about that, about when the, when the cops finally show up to arrest him. What did he have with him? You know, we wrote our series uh, in Tampa. I, f- I found this guy, uh, stumbled upon him uh, in 2009. We wrote a series six, seven months later called Under the Radar at the Times. He went on the run, and he disappeared, and he was gone. He literally was under the radar for a better part of two or three years. The federal marshals got on to him. They found in Ohio, the attorney general pursued the case up there where uh, a lot of contributions had been given and determined that that, that Bobby Thompson was a stolen identity. It was an identity that belonged to a Native American guy in the Seattle, Washington area. Well, now they've indicted this guy for identity theft, money laundering, but they don't know where he is, and they don't know who he is. And the federal marshals, part of the story that is best told uh, in this book by uh, my my partner, a uh, 
American Greed producer Daniel Freed follows the federal marshals and a police task force as they chase this sort of Jason Bourne character across the country. And they're following surveillance cameras uh, at ATMs. They're following purchase slips uh, that have been used for credit cards in one or two of the identities that they've determined. They're always just slightly short. They've got him. They think they've got him up in the, the Boston, Rhode Island area, He's got, but he's slipped away. Finally, they track him out to a uh, about a six-block area in Portland, Oregon. They think, based on the purchases that are happening out there, this is where he is. And a six- or seven-man task force, led by the federal marshals, fly out there, and they determine that they're going to sit on this area until he shows up. And they are prepared to be there for days, of, of possibly weeks. And actually, the first, the first night that they're there, they see a guy that looks like Thompson, walking with a cane that goes into a bar in Portland, and the federal marshal goes into the bar and sits down at the bar, and he immediately texts back to the task force, he's here. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good little story about the chase, such as it is. They they wanted to see if he had partners or confederates or if they would lead him to money, and so they let him leave the bar. He uh, goes down to a... uh, nearby grocery store. He's got a bad leg and is walking with a cane. He goes into the grocery store and he gets on one of these uh, electric scooters. And he's slowly scootering around the grocery (laughs) store. And behind him, if you can sort of imagine this, is a six or seven police force, uh, (laughs) police and marshal task force trying to pretend like they're not following him. It's a slow speed chase. Yeah. <laughs> they they cut slow that slow scenario speed. out of all the Jason Bourne movies. The slow speed <laughs> chase on the scooter <laughs> through the Kroger store. I think the chapter title in this one is the slowest the slowest pursuit ever. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, they uh, he makes them. You know, he's he's walking with his cane back down the street out of the grocery store, and he. He makes them. Uh, he mm-hmm. sees a line of uh, police cars, you know, dark sedans. What a, what a cop's drive, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the street, and he, he makes them, and they decide they should arrest him. They still don't know who he is, but now they arrest him. He, he signs the booking log, Mr. X. <laughs> they don't have his He's identity. He's a professional wrestler. <laughs> Mr. X. They do find uh, in his room at the this rooming house where he had a one-room apartment, uh, they find a few things. They find uh, a DVD for Catch Me If You Can. Uh, That's so famous. funny. I had I had written in my notes here, Catch Me If You Can, because I was going to close the episode talking to Craig about that movie, <laughs> and if he'd ever, which I saw it on cable the other day. Phenomenal movie. Spectacular. This is what the commander, you know, likened himself to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and hopefully, if he ever got caught, he could do what uh, Frank Abagnale did, which was to cut a deal with the feds to become an expert, right? Mm-hmm. And wow. shorten his sentence. Uh, he had a computer with a bunch of stuff on a hard drive. He had begun to set up a uh, phony church that he was going to use to build the next uh, group of uh, citizens. And he had begun cutting out, let's go back to the picture of Captain Nimitz on the first page of the Navy Veterans website. He had begun to cut out obituary pictures from the local paper and the obituary pictures became uh, the pastor uh, and the deacon 
of uh, the new church uh, that he was setting up. He would, of course, give them new names, and they would be resurrected, if you will, uh, to become uh, part of his next con. Another thing they found was a, a big keychain that had a, uh, a key that they were ultimately able to identify as the key to a storage locker at a uh, nearby Portland storage facility. They got a uh, search warrant. The officers went out to the storage locker. It was about as big as a, a, a closet. They opened it up, and there were two things in there. One was a backpack that held 13 complete sets of stolen identification, stolen from uh, largely Native American men who had all lived in or around Gallup, New Mexico, back in the late 90s. He had stolen the IDs. He'd created a driver's license, a, you know, a MasterCard, a, a work card for his eventual use. It was uh, the, uh, the parachute that he would use if he ever needed to bail out, and he ended up using several of these, of these identifications. The other thing was a suitcase, and the officers opened up the suitcase and they let out a long whistle because inside was about $988,000 mm-hmm. in cash. Was that all the money there was? I don't know. Uh, we, we sort of think not. Uh, based on uh, the math we've done with what he brought in, maybe what he spent, it, this is hard to, hard to calculate. But this is nearly a million dollars that he had stashed away. And he was living uh, frugally in, in, a, uh, in a boarding house in Portland yeah. and, and living again under the radar. Yeah. Why do you think Florida attracts people like this? I mean, I, what is it about our state that, that we wind up with so many Bobby Thompsons working out of here scamming people? Well, Craig, I, the first answer I'm going to give you is, is one that uh, I hope you'll appreciate. I think we discover more con men in Florida because we have better journalists looking for them. Well, that's certainly true. <laughs> that's one reason. You know, I, but uh, let's face it, common are like everybody else. They want to get out of the snow. They want to come down, live in the sunshine and the and the breezes and the palm trees, and live in a in a pleasant environment. I think that's a legitimate deal. I think that another reason is that in Florida you get what's the number of new people you have coming into the state every day that you say about nine hundred. They say nine hundred. Nine hundred. Fresh chickens with their nest eggs are coming in across the state line every day to be plucked. And, uh, you know, there is fresh meat or eggs, well, you use your metaphor, whatever you want to use, to, to go after. You know, we, if you're running a phone scam, we, we pick up two or three a, a day. You know, I'm calling from the IRS. Uh, there's been a lawsuit filed against you, uh, you know, or whatever the scam is. These people are ripe for the picking, and they're new to new to the area. And elderly in a lot of cases, and, you know, not to cast aspersions, but, you know, the, the older you get, your mental faculties, you don't understand technology, you're like, what? And you get something through email or Facebook, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not not only are there a lot of uh, fresh chickens, like you say, a lot of them are in the, the twilight of their life and not as uh, suspicious or sharp as they once were. I would agree with you, and, and uh, very few of these people are going to uh, be uh, as adept as uh, an investigative reporter, uh, uh, a Craig Pittman or a Jeff Testman mm-hmm. or a Daniel Freed, to to do what we did. It, it's, it just is not the case that you're going to call regulators and ask for paperwork. You're you're going to be sort of a, more of a trusting individual. Yeah. You're going to take a look at the, the website and say, well, and you got a picture wow. with the president. I mean, what more do you need? 
<laughs> at the end of I mean, boom, I mean that gives you all the the proof you need that this guy's legitimate. He has a pic and John McCain and, and others. You know, it wasn't this wasn't photoshopped or a, you know a deep fake photo. I mean, this was real. The, the photo with the president was real. And for any average person like myself looking into this charity, good enough for me. It's uh, it's true. You know the uh, we we haven't uh, talked about Mr. X and. Uh, how how that ended up, and it's on the inside of the book cover. But Mr. X ultimately, the federal marshals, uh, one of them one day was uh, going through some cold cases and some some uh, dated wanted posters, and he came upon a wanted poster of a guy with a, a pompadour sort of hairdo, and he looked he kind of did a double take on the wanted poster, and he said, "That looks like our guy, Mr. X, that we picked up in Portland a few months back," and they did a fingerprint match, and they did identify him. And the <laughs> news that uh, knocked me off my chair when I heard this, uh, almost, was that this man, Commander Bobby Thompson, using a stolen identity, running a scam out of a ramshackle duplex in Ybor City, Florida, turned out to be John Donald Cody, a Harvard-educated lawyer, a former captain in the U.S. Army Intelligence Corps, who had been an operative for the CIA, at some point had had gone off the reservation. Yeah, uh, we we kind of take a couple of guesses at what happened uh, in uh, 1984 when he was uh, had a law practice out in uh, Arizona, and he disappeared one day, taking a hundred thousand dollars from a couple of clients' accounts, and just disappeared, only to emerge 15 years later in Florida. You know, in Tampa, in Ybor City. <laughs> Jeff Testerman has been our guest. Call Me Commander is the book. Callmecommander.net is where you can go to learn more. And that is a legitimate website, and it is a legitimate book. There is no scam here. There is no con here. If you'd like to order the book, you can find information there at callmecommander.net. A fascinating story, wonderful investigative reporting and journalism. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Craig, do you recall a story from your long journalism career that started in an innocuous or innocent way that maybe didn't snowball into something like this, but as you began pulling at threads, really turned into something much larger than you had ever imagined? Well, yeah, and it's, you know, on a much smaller scale, it was sort of like what Jeff was just telling us about. It was a, it was a charity that focused on uh, environmental groups. It was called Earth Share of Florida, and I thought, well, that was kind of interesting that they're, you know, trying to raise money for environmental causes, but they were also being allowed to collect money uh, through the state, that state employees could actually donate to this charity through their through a payroll deduction. I thought, well, that's kind of really? odd. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah that, and, that's, and, and so I said, well, let me find out about this place, and... Um, it was run by this guy named Jack LaBounty, which is just a great name. Right. I <laughs> it turned, you know, the guy, it turns out the guy was, you know, money was really rolling in. Mm-hmm. Their office was, was here in St. Petersburg where I live. This guy was jetting around the country, riding in limos. And, uh, then suddenly he disappeared. <laughs> and, uh, the board of directors are like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> and, and so they called in the auditors and, oh man, it was, it was a mess. And he ended up being a, being charged with grand theft. What he'd done is he'd obtained a corporate credit card through fraudulent means and used it to wipe to, to steal nearly fifty thousand dollars had been donated 
for environmental causes. And he mm-hmm. just, you know, he spent it on restaurants, spent it on limo service, going to nightclubs, all kinds of stuff like that. And he, he disappeared. And so for one of my fellow reporters, I was, I was talking to some, some of my fellow reporters about, you know, trying to find this guy. And one of them said, what did you say his name was? I said, LeBounty. And she said, I know that guy. Oh my! She, she knew him from playing the trivia game at her local bar. That he was <laughs> he would he would come in and play that same same game. And she said, "I bet we can track him down through that." And so we went to the website for this particular trivia game. It's an online computerized yeah. trivia game that's sold to the bars. We looked for his account name and located it in I think it was Pennsylvania. And he was playing under the name Mutiny, as in Mutiny yeah, on the Bounty. Bounty. Yeah. And <laughs> so I called the bar. Up in Pennsylvania, where it showed up, and they said, "Oh yeah, we know Jack. He comes in here every day. If you call back oh about three gosh. o'clock, he'll be here." So I did. <laughs> I know. I did. I call up there, and he's like, "Oh, you got me." <laughs> <laughs> wow! Uh, if you Google charity verification, there are a number of sites which come up. Charity Navigator is kind of an industry standard that ranks charities. There's also information from the IRS, which some people think is a scam in its own right, uh, that will help you determine whether the charity you may be interested in donating to is legitimate or not, because they are incredibly sophisticated. Uh, and in an online world, you can mock up just about anything you want, and the average citizen does not have the time or the means or the inclination to you know do the kind of gumshoe legwork that that you and Jeff are putting in on these folks. <laughs> Don't forget about Hip Camp. Now, remember, do you own land and want to earn money in Florida? Hip Camp needs folks like you, sponsors with property that they can rent essentially to folks from all over the country who want to stay in Florida. Landowners across the state are earning up to $1000 per month listing places where folks can camp, glamp, RV, pitch a tent, bring the big uh, RV in, do all that kind of stuff. It's at Hip Camp. And Hip Camp takes care of everything to make it easy on you. You host when you want. Everything is on your schedule. Guests book stays through you. You get paid every week via PayPal or direct deposit. Hip Camp even takes care of the insurance. All you need is a flat spot where someone can pitch a tent or park an RV. Go to hipcamp.com slash land to learn more. They are looking for sites all across Florida. They need your site, and they're willing to pay you some money. So take advantage of Hip Camp. Not a scam. (laughs) Not a scam. Not a scam. Despite being in Florida. That's right. Welcome to Florida.